We have been talking about our call stories, uh, you know, so where were we, when were we, when we first heard God calling us into ministry and how that path to ministry, like going through our education and seminary, how, how that all happened. But here's the thing. Calls from God are never static. They're very fluid. They change as we change. And so we wanted to continue this conversation with another round to talk about how our calls have changed over the years. So Erica, you're up first. How has your call changed? So, I mean, the the, cha- the first change in my call, honestly, was in seminary. You know, when we talked in, in our first round of sto- sharing our stories, um, I had gone to seminary to get my master's of divinity. And... Um, ended up getting a master's of arts and spiritual formation as well. And since then, I have served um, two parishes, two sets of churches, uh, parachurches in Warren, Pennsylvania, a one singular church in Marion Center. And now my call is about to change again um, because I am being moved. My bishop and her cabinet have discerned that my gifts and graces are not so much not no no longer needed in Marion Center, but are needed elsewhere. And so coming July 1st, I'll be starting a new appointment in which I am the lead pastor of a four-church co-op in Northeast Somerset County. So I will have uh, Trinity, Scalp Level, and then there's another pastor under me who will have two other churches, and then the third pastor will have a fourth church down towards Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Um, so really looking forward to this move. Um, sad to be leaving the community that I've been a part of for five years. I mean, it's because I've served here that this podcast kind of where it's at. Because uh, Steve invited me to join, you know, join along. Um, what was it? Four years ago, almost five now, Steve. Something like that. And um, so. This is a very different call than I've ever had, a different appointment. Um, I guess to use more of my terminology. Um, I, I've i been a, the senior pastor, obviously, of my current church, because I am the only pastor here, but I've never been the lead pastor of a multi-point, uh, multi-church appointment. Um, so this is going to be something different and interesting. I still don't know a whole lot about it yet. Um because a lot of ministry, you don't find out until you just kind of jump in and get your feet wet. <laughs> and so, um, but, I, but I'm excited. I'm excited for the people that I'm working with. Uh, they seem like a, a great group of pastors and great group of parishioners. Um, excited for the challenges ahead. This is a new configuration um, for these churches. They've only been in this for about a year now. Um, so, lots of figuring out kind of what this looks like um, for these four churches to come together and to work together, but not be, not to be a charge in the same sense that like when I served in Warren, um, these aren't churches like what Steve, like what you serve, you know, where you, one pastor is serving two different churches. 
we have that on this co-op is what we call them. Um, but I'm only in charge of one and then I'm overseeing the pastors of the other two churches. So um, it's exciting times. It's scary times in some ways. It's always interesting to move, but um, yeah, we'll see what happens. So I'm so curious, Erica, are the other pastors that are involved in this co-op, are they also new? Are they moving, being moved there this year as well? Or have they been there they for have, a while? They've been there. Um, the pastor of the, this other singular church, Bob, um, is a rather newbie to ministry. Um, he is just starting the process in the Methodist Church. And then Linda, who has the other two churches on the charge, she is a retired, what we call a local licensed pastor, um, which is just one of the levels of pastors that we have in the United Methodist Church. Um, and so she's been there for a while. I don't know if she's had both churches lead for several years or how that's worked. Um, so, yeah, I'm the new person coming on to the co-op. So it will be interesting. Um, I am the only elder on the co-op, um, which is like the highest outside of being a district superintendent or a bishop. It's kind of like the highest ranking um, in our system, though I hate to use that term uh, because I'm not necessarily any local license pastor. Like, she has years more experience than me because she's, you know, she's retired and also serving in retirement. Um, but if, if there were a hierarchy to things, I'm kind of at the top of that. So I'm curious, Erica, um, you have lived through uh, multiple appointments before, at least one before coming to the, the current uh, appointment that you're serving right now. Okay. And you, I, I really I really appreciate the way you phrased it before, that, that a move to a new appointment doesn't mean that your gifts and graces aren't needed anymore in, in the current setting, but like they're needed elsewhere or the situation changes that there's a reason why it makes sense for you to go somewhere else. So it's not like we fixed everything here and now move on, but more like, yeah, you know, for a season, this is this is where it's helpful. So I guess what I'm wondering, since you've lived through that kind of transition before and different kind of setting before, what were things you saw about your own gifts and graces, to borrow that phrasing, that maybe changed? And what were things that stayed the same for you in, in your sense of call to ministry in moving, changing context and even kind of call? So I've always had a gift uh, for teaching and preaching. And so that has stayed obviously pretty consistent. I mean, that's the big chunk of what we do. It's part of the job. <laughs> um, the style of how I preach has changed a little bit over the years. And I think that's just refining things. Mm-hmm. Um, Wesley used to say, at least it's attributed to him, like if you don't throw out your sermons every so many years, then like, you know, you need to because you can't go back and preach the same thing um, over and over again. So, so that has stayed consistent with some, some changes in it. Um, but I've definitely have grown in a lot of areas in this particular appointment that I'm currently in, um, especially like dealing with finances and things, cause that's just been a need that the church has had. Um, and so I've been in a, a stewardship Academy with the, um, Pennsylvania United Methodist foundation, which is a large, organization. I don't know exactly how to describe it. Um, they do grants and um, have endowments and things for churches um, through Western and central Pennsylvania. 
So if you just look up United Methodist Foundations, uh, you can see what they're all about. So that's something, definitely an area I had to grow in here. And just general leadership skills. Um, you know, I was only my first appointment for two and a half years. So that's not very long time to, to necessarily grow uh, where I've been here for five years. So I've been able to see those, those growing areas that I've had and try to get some continuing education and other things to help in those areas. Um, I'm sure there are more than just finances, but that's the big one that comes to mind because that's just something that, especially in the last couple of years, we've really been focused in on is trying to get us into a really healthy financial place. And um, so then for my successor, you know, he's starting off in a good place and can just keep it rolling and keep it going from there. I I found it really interesting as you describing that, that there are several different ways that that the relationship between pastor and congregation change over time that I was hearing from, from there. Some of it is the way each of us as individuals grow and mature just in our own lives. And apart from any continuing education, we're not the same people that we were oh, yeah. a few years ago. And that's true of just being human. On top of that, there are professional development kind of ways that you might get other skills or things like that, that even if the job is basically the same as far as, yep, every Sunday got to preach and teach, there's pieces that change and that your perspective changes. But I would imagine too, another piece of it is the longer you get to know people, not only do you have a deeper kind of relationship with them that you know how, uh, you know, words or examples or, you know, anecdotes will land differently, but they change as well. This is, this is a, a piece that maybe we don't often talk about is that uh, part of how calls change isn't just moving from one location to another, but the way people in one place change over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes they are changed because of the influence we've had. Sometimes they are changed because of other stuff going on in their lives as well. And we have to adapt. Are there ways that you've noticed that uh, as, a, as a piece of how call has changed for you? Not so much about your skills changing, um, but ways you've noticed differences in the dynamic between the same group of people or the same official congregation on paper, but the way that changes over time. What's that been like for you? So I'd say part of it, I'm the first female pastor to serve this church. Um, which was something I was a little, little cautious of, a little leery of, to be honest, when I first came here. Um, in my previous appointment, they'd had other females as the lead pastor of the, of the smaller church, and they'd had other women in leadership kind of as the associate in the larger church. So it wasn't something new to them. Um, but it's been interesting to see how some folks that maybe were a little leery of having a female have kind of opened up to that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, at least with me, I, I hope I've put, put forth a good example of what it means to be a woman in pastoral ministry so that someday in the future, when they get another woman, they can look back and be like, okay, Erica wasn't so bad. We can handle this. <laughs> you know, um, and then I'm not one of those that like, oh, we didn't like her. We don't want another, you know, um, and just you know, like those relationship dynamics, you know, it's it's interesting to, to think back to like when I had, um, we call them intakes or take-ins, uh, when, when we come and we meet a new congregation, um, we don't meet the whole congregation, we just meet what's what we call as our staff parish relations committee, um, who is just a small committee within the church that's in charge of the, the staff and the pastor, 
and the relationship between them and the congregation and meeting those folks for the first time. And then now looking five years later and how the relationships with those folks have grown from that first meeting to walking with them through heartache, through death, through disease, through a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's the dynamics are so different. Um. You know, and now I have to start all of that over again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that makes me think of another question that may be particular to this moment in human history. Um, that like, obviously any, any, for, you know, for all, all of church history or all of American church history, there's going to be changes between a congregation and pastor over time. But you've also in this most recent appointment had to guide a congregation mm-hmm. through a pandemic. And I'll be curious too, in future conversations to hear what, what Sarah's experience was in the pandemic and how that changed call for you as well, Sarah. But since, since you're on the hot seat right now, Erica, like I imagine that's several layers of change or, or change to the call as well, not just change from what the old normal was the pandemic, but also the way congregations themselves feel different here two years after the beginning of all that mm-hmm. and whatever normal looks like moving forward, how that, how that changes. What, 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 what are your feelings of how your sense of serving these people or serving God's call has changed be, because of, or through the pandemic? So this has been a, an exceptionally cautious church, especially towards the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and so when it came to things like reopening and, and stuff, I mean, we had long, hard conversations, prayerful conversations about how and when to do those kind of things. Um, we went online, not a full service, but like the sermon went online every week because uh, we don't have the people and the technology to do a whole service online. And that still continues to this day. But now, you know, as we get two years into this, as numbers are exceptionally low in our county um you know now my folks are itching to get back to normal mm-hmm. or at least what they thought you know what normal was before the pandemic um i keep tr- trying to remind them we'll never get there um because that normal is gone but they are you know trying to get back to doing things that um that we did before the pandemic uh that we've not been able to do in the last couple of years so that's been some interesting conversations. Um, sometimes I'm on board with those things. Sometimes I'm still a little cautious about starting that kind of stuff up because I have my best friend's immunocompromised. And so I only see her about twice a year because she lives in another state. Um, but, you know, I because of her, I'm aware of other people within our church community, within our larger community. Um, that face the same difficulties and like this opening back up and going back to normal. Are we doing it a little too fast? Are we being a little too loose with what we're doing? Um, But I mean, so far uh, knock on wood, nobody has gotten sick because of church here. We've had people that have come down with COVID, but not because of our worship services. So I guess we just keep on keeping on and try to get them back into some sort of rhythm so that when my successor comes in in July, he's not still, he's not trying to figure out, okay, what does pandemic church look like and what does normal church look like, but he can get 
hopefully more into just what normal the normal church rhythm will be like. I wonder. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see as years go on how this question of like, what did your church do during the pandemic mm-hmm. is going to shape that interviewing process, whether, you know, if your church is a type of denomination that interviews or even during intake for, for United Methodists, like how does that frame a pastor's that, that quick thinking, oh, this is who these people are based off of how they reacted during the pandemic? Yeah. And like the church I'm going into, the, the, the singular church that I am serving in this new co-op, apparently their attendance before the pandemic was around 100. But since they've come back from the pandemic, now they, they do live stream their worship services. So I don't know exactly how many people watch. But their current attendance is around what I have in my church right now, which is like 35, 40, you know. And so obviously a lot of them still aren't comfortable coming back or they've just gotten used to live stream, you know. And and I don't know how that's going to change when I come in, like new pastors sometimes like, oh, everybody comes out of the woodwork that hasn't been there for years. Um, you know, just to just to come and see. Right. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what will happen there. I've had a lot of colleagues who have moved in the during the pandemic, but like moved in 2020 or moved last year. Um, and that's very different than moving like this year where most churches are kind of like back to that normal. That's some sense of normalcy that we had beforehand. I wonder, Erica, could you talk a little bit about, um, whether you had uh, either that you formed or that was given to you sort of a narrative when you first came to this current call, this current appointment, um, like a narrative of here's what I'm here to do and a sense of like if, if that was accomplishable or if it was more abstract. Like like I know um, congregations and pastors who like will call a pastor and the thought is, okay, the goal is to get us through this, um, you know, reorganization season or the goal is we need someone who can help us heal after a uh, bad dysfunctional situation that happened. I mean, and sometimes it's really explicit. We need a particular pastor who will help do this particular thing for this particular need and sometimes it's more amorphous and ambiguous, but I guess how much of a narrative you have going in helps you make meaning of, did I do what I was supposed to do or did you have to figure it out? What what was that like for you entering this appointment? So in our system, you don't see that as often, at least in my own experience, um, because we're not a call system. We're an appointed system. And so it just, um, early on, we did have, for a short while, a revitalization team trying to get more people into church uh, and into worship, things like that. Um, every church thinks by getting a younger pastor, and I'm not necessarily in the younger category anymore. <laughs> but you know, if, you know, a young, younger, youngish pastor, especially a, a younger pastor that has kids, they're thinking, oh, then that's going to draw younger people into the church and that's going to draw kids into the church. And I always have to remind folks, no, that's not necessarily the case, um, especially as I keep getting older and I'm no longer, um, we cut off in the Methodist church, young clergy at 35. Um, I passed that about four years ago. <laughs> so I'm no longer young clergy, but I'm not, 
your average age of clergy either. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have like a defined, this is what we were looking for. They, one thing they, they were looking for is they were looking for a pastor that was a little bit more involved in the district and conference level um, with meetings and committees and things like that. That I did accomplish pretty easily because uh, I was already on a conference level committee. I was already on a board for one of our camps. Um, got very involved with the ministerium, hence Steve, how we met. And other colleagues around the area, how Sarah and I met. Um, so that was very a very accomplishable goal um, and very easy for me because I'm very connectional. Um, but as uh, towards like ministry-wise, there wasn't anything very specific like, well, we just went through this and now we need somebody to help us get to that next step. Can I ask, and maybe this is too early uh, to, to ask, because I know that the transition is yet un- unfolding, but um, like I, I think about um, when, we're, when we're called to be in uh, hospital situations, you know, at, at the bedside with people, there sometimes is a change of narrative when someone is really, really sick, but they are anticipated to do well. And then there's times when the family sort of, oh, this narrative is going to end likely with death. And our job is to be there dealing and helping with closure. And our job as pastors kind of changes there as well, even how we are present and how we pray, all those kind of things change as well. And I guess I wonder whether... Uh, in a similar way, not that there's dying happening, but there's certainly a transition that's happening in the end of your time in this current appointment. Um, if you're seeing your way of pastoring changing uh, now that it is public in your in in the congregation that you are going to be uh, leaving for a new appointment, if if you're feeling any kind of change in what it means to be a pastor. Uh, sort of helping them to prepare for what comes next, or if it feels like, nope, it's, just, it's full steam ahead, same as always. So I would love for things to have calmed down as we've gotten towards the end. <laughs> but there are a lot of projects that have been in the pipeline, some of which have been in pipeline since I got here. Um, some that have become more recent, but are projects that we can finish before I leave. Um, like a video projection system and a chairlift and memory of um, a, a gentleman from my church who's who passed last fall. And so like those kind of things are still very much full steam ahead until they are finished only because I don't want to pass them on to my successor. Like let's get these done. Let's get these into place. But in other ways, like I, I am like pulling back, you know, I've told my folks I'm not doing any meetings in June. You know, like you can handle a month without your pastor at any, you know, congregational meetings. And I'm, I'm trying to kind of step back and not be as vocal at the, at the few meetings I do have left, you know, cause they don't need my voice anymore. They need to be looking towards their new pastor for voice and for direction on things. Um, so in that, that sense, yeah, there's been that kind of change. Um, you know, it, my last Sunday is, is June 12th. Um, and so they will have two weeks of somebody else filling the pulpit between myself and my successor coming in and, you know, what that's going to look like. I don't completely know yet. I'm not even sure who yet I've asked somebody if they wanted to take those two weeks, I've not heard back from them. 
Um, so still making those plans. Uh, but we put that in intentionally. Like we are given transitional leave in the Methodist denomination so that you don't go from one you know, the last Sunday in June having Pastor A mm-hmm. and the first Sunday in July having Pastor B. Sure. You know, so you get that little bit of a buffer, like, okay, our, our current pastor is is leaving. Basically, our former pastor is gone. We've got some time to settle into that fact. Mm-hmm. And then now we can welcome our new pastor yeah. come the 1st of July. I, I know we have had conversation in previous series about um, transitions as pastors. So this is, uh, this is uh, uh, in some ways, a similar kind of a conversation. But I guess I'm wondering, like, as someone who has walked other people through grief and loss in in physical death, those kind of circumstances, yeah. do you find yourself, like, doing pastoral care for yourself in the grieving process here as well? Or what, what's that like for you in that leaving uh, so far? I know that there's, there's yet more that that's going to unfold, but what, what's that like for you? Um, I haven't touched that much yet. Okay. Um, so um, as we record this, I am coming up on, I've been part of a cantata group uh, for most of my time here and a community choir and we'll be singing my last one here in a couple of weeks. And so that's going to be kind of like that first step. Yeah. Um, I try not to think about it. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So my office is like, as, as I sit here, we're recording. My office is mostly packed up, um, you know, working on getting the house packed up. Um, but yeah, it will hit, it will definitely hit more in, in late May, sure. early June. Sure, sure, sure. It, it it is a reminder to me. I, I so appreciate you're willing to share all that you're going through and the the both the wisdom as well as the honesty of like this is what it's like. Uh, because I, I I think you know when we when we got our first round of conversations talking about how each of us felt called to ministry. That is by by nature often a very hopeful, happy sort of. Uh, conversation you know god chose me god picked me and you know like that that we we frame those as as um unqualified completely nothing but you know sunshine and rainbows um and i think sometimes uh not only we as pastors but but folks in congregations forget too that the the calling is also to things that break our hearts too even in the best of circumstances because you know change is always is always painful change is always difficult and the letting go is as much about grieving as as when when there's a death um and to say that the how our calls change includes that we are not um uh unemotional uh beings ourselves who just you know handle this like you know um I don't, I don't know like like we're robots or automatons part part of how going through ministry and our calls change is that that every time we go through this some some piece of us has to die and be resurrected some part of us has to uh let go and then find something new to hold on to um and that that changes us too as people and mm-hmm. i think that's a piece maybe congregations forget when when you start a new appointment or start a new call is that like this is somebody who's just been through a grieving process um and we don't say that but like that's someone who's just been through uh, a lot of letting go 
and they're still working through that as they step in the door. And while everybody in the new place is all excited, like you're processing stuff still. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that your polity allows two weeks of transitional time, but man, even that feels kind of, I mean, like I've never heard anybody say, aren't you over the death of your spouse? They died just two weeks ago. Aren't you over it? And like, um, I, it, this is in some ways as big a piece of our lives because we spend so much time in the life of congregations um, that it can feel very much like a family member that is that close to us um, when there's that separation and change. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I was surprised when I left my first appointment, my senior pastor told me um, how quickly, because he had been through several appointments before that, how quickly that you don't forget your previous appointment, but like you get so wrapped up into what is happening in your new appointment that you don't have time to think about sure. the former places. Sure. And I was honestly like surprised um, how true that was when I came mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, especially considering I had a parishioner very, very shortly after I came here was officially diagnosed with cancer and um, ended up dying that, that following March. So, you know, that was like, that just took, you know, a lot of my attention for those first several months. Yeah. And um, though I, I hope I don't get put in it. That's not <laughs> better for me. I buried a parishioner a month in the ministry. Like, full like ministry period one month in I buried a parishioner my first appointment and then um I actually didn't do the funeral for that the parishioner here because I was at a conference down in Georgia but uh but still like went through that process um and actually buried another parishioner um when I came home from that conference because they had died within days of each other but you know I'm just curious to see you know what it will be that kind of grabs my attention and my new appointment and just yeah again not forgetting these folks but just like okay i'm too focused i have too much to learn and think about and names to you know names and faces to put together to really dwell on marion center yeah Yeah. um so that that will be interesting to see that happen again and I also think, I think Sarah was in our first round of these, of the series, you said something along the lines, like that your first six months in a new church, you're preaching to your old people because like, that's just the mindset. You, and I, that has stuck with me since that was shared in our earlier episodes, because I, I've known for a while now um, that I was moving. And so I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> like, how do, and I get it. Like, you know, you, that's who you're used to preaching to. And I'm like, okay, so how can I make that not last six months? (laughs) (laughs) And maybe who knows, like it it just all depends on how, how much we connect in my new charge, um, you know, and how quickly that happens. You know, it might be six months. It might be longer, might be less, but that struck me. I'm like, wow, that's Yeah. I get that. (laughs) So are there other things you want us to know about how your sense of call to ministry has changed in your ministry career so far? Um, one of the things I'm really hoping I'll be able to do in this, in this new parish that I've not been able to do in previous ones, um, 
like I said, I have a degree in spiritual formation and I have tried, I've been part of a covenant group, um, which is kind of like what Wesley's bands and classes um, that I think we've talked about before in different podcasts. Um, I've been part of my own personal one um, that I, I was part of when I was in my first appointment and continue with that, been part of one in this appointment. Um, I'm hoping to actually be able to start that with my new church. It just hasn't gotten off the ground with these last two churches for whatever reason. I don't, maybe, I don't know. I'm not putting blame on anyone, um, but I'm hoping to be able to use that part of my seminary education more than maybe I've gotten to in these last couple of churches. So we'll, we'll see where that lands. I, I had a leader from our district asked me to prayerfully consider starting something spiritual formation wise in my new district. And I said, okay, I will pray about it. Um, I don't make any guarantees, but I will pray about it and see what happens. So who knows? We'll see where God takes that. Yeah. I, I, that's probably a good, a good way to, to land uh, on a conversation today is that all, all of these, for all the changes that each of us have experienced and will experience, there's a certain amount at which we go, okay, we're, we'll see what God does with this next. Yeah. Um, and, and knowing that the way those things change is going to look different, not only location to location, but as each opportunity allows us to use different gifts that maybe were there all along. Uh, but sometimes it's time for them to bloom and sometimes it's time for them to rest. Yeah. So we're going to get to hear more next time about how our uh, stories and calls in ministry grow and change over time. So we hope you'll join us here next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.